0: Hello and welcome to a voice calling in the wilderness, a trumpet call, a voice crying out loud for God to those that would hear, so that they would run to him, that they might be warned. We're here sounding the alarm that our time here on earth is short, and that we have no time to waste. Here we will expose the truth, teach the word, discuss the dangers, lies, and enemies we are surrounded by, and how to engage in the war that we are standing in the middle of. Today, Grant and I are talking with our friend, Pastor Gary Durham, and we'll be asking the question, are you a Noah? So welcome to the show, Pastor. How are you today?
1: Good to be back again, J.D. and Grant.
0: <laughs> so in Matthew, Jesus tells us that at the end, it's going to be very much as the same as it was in the days of Noah. And today I'd like to talk about really kind of what that means, who was Noah, and why he was significant in his time And why we would be significant in our time if we were to try to be a Noah of our time. Uh So there are some great lessons that we can learn from Noah's story. One is that God always provides a way out for sin and corruption to salvation. In Noah's generation, the people had a chance to repent and make peace with God and go with Noah onto the ark. Noah preached and pled with them to do so, but they refused. We also see lessons of God's faithfulness in in this passage. He does not leave Noah's family out in the floodwaters, floundering in uncertainty, loneliness, and hopelessness. Instead, the waters eventually recede and they find land again, and a new start, a chance to restore earth. Since Jesus said that the last days would parallel the society of Noah's day, we could look further into God's Word and learn what that meant. The book of Genesis explains what the conditions were like at that time. And because of the long life that these men and women were living, we can understand that most of those people likely knew Adam or someone very, very near to Adam, and so they could understand what it was like to walk with God, what it was like to experience the spirit realm, what the garden was like before they were evicted. And so there's likely an unbroken line of eyewitnesses to all of that. All the way up to the flood. So this idea that they got lost or it was some long distance thing that they couldn't remember or didn't understand, and that uh it was a result of errors or drifting from God, it doesn't make sense. Because people, they were there, they knew exactly what had happened. They knew who God really was. Uh-huh. Because Adam wasn't quiet about God, I'm certain of that. Right. And he he told everybody, and and there were a lot of people that witnessed these things happen. So this was a result of deliberate rejection of God, not an accident or not um, a, a long distance falling away. Mm-hmm. And part of that due is due to the what was the corruption on earth caused by right, and and we know that there were in man's minds. We're, we're told, are continuously evil in that time, uh-huh. even so much so that their imaginations were evil. Right. And, and Pastor, you can talk to us about what the influences were that helped cause man to get to that point.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, let's do that, but uh, let's, let's unpack even... I mean, you I I, opened the whole book. Yeah, as you always do, JD. You <laughs> you, you, you threw about eight things got, out there. I you got know? broad
0: brushstrokes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it, it's good. Uh, the point is, is that the, the the great phrase of Jesus is, "As it was in the days of Noah, mm-hmm. so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man." And then he makes some some comparisons to the Mm -hmm. day of Noah. And, of course, one of the things is that there is great wickedness in the time of Noah. Now, we need to understand there was not idolatry in the time of Noah. There is no record of anyone worshiping any other god but the true god in the time before the flood. However, there is a rejection of God's authority. Uh, There is great evil against one another, and uh, there were alternate spiritual beings who are having great influence over them, as we, we learn from Genesis 6, which we'll maybe unpack that in a moment. But the point is, is that uh, idolatry had not yet been born. Uh, that happens at the Tower of Babel, and that uh, happens subsequently in its development when God disinherits the nations because of their rejection of God once again, and he puts them for punishment under the fallen uh, divine beings. Uh, and he divides the nations according to the sons of El, the Elohim, and uh, and uh, and you know that's another whole story we won't unpack. But the point is is that those nations are under judgment, mm-hmm. and then God goes and selects Sarah, our Sarai, and Abram who become Abraham and Sarah. Uh, to create a nation that would be his possession. They are his specific people. These others have been disinherited. But through Abraham, he's going to send the seed who will once again claim all the nations. And that's what Paul's great message was. Jesus and what he's done makes it now possible for all the nations to come home to the true God. Now, the time of Noah was a time of great wickedness, bloodshed all Mm -hmm. over the earth. Noah has a particular character— uh, not only is he said to be a righteous man, he is also said to be a man who was, uh, if to, to maybe loosely translate the Hebrew, he was right in his genealogy. Now what that means is, is that, that wouldn't make any sense unless you understood what follows in chapter 6, uh, 1 through 4, about the pollution of the human race by some fallen divine beings who descend to earth and actually... Cohabit with women. In fact, the, the Hebrew is very explicit. It says they, it it talks to to the very act of the sexuality that's going. Yeah. It says they, they entered, entered the women. They entered into the women and caused them to have sons. Mm-hmm. They were all male, who were uh, giants. At Nephilim, the Nephilim are on the earth. They be they're giants. They're referred to as giants, and they're very wicked because they have in their spirit, their fathers are are fallen wicked, Elohim who were once part of God's divine council. And some people say, oh, that couldn't happen because God said angels can't procreate. Well, Jesus didn't say that, first of all. He didn't say they couldn't. And secondly, these are not angels necessarily. Angel is not really a category of being. It's a classification of function. So in other words, even Yahweh himself, which is probably the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament, is often called the angel of Yahweh, Mm -hmm. the angel of the Lord, as we translate it in English. And it turns out to be Yahweh because he accepts sacrifice and worship. And uh, so, and no angel would. An angel, if you try to worship only a righteous angel, says, no, don't do that. You know, you can worship only God. John tried that in Revelation and right. was rebuked twice. right Don't do that. And Daniel tried it and he, nope, don't do that. <laughs> you know. So the point is is that uh, these, uh, these evil divine beings corrupt mankind. And uh, if you take some of the, uh, for example, the book of Enoch, the first book, uh, which the, interestingly enough, Second Temple Judaism and the early Christians all highly revered. We now know that uh, it goes back as far as it was probably composed somewhere about 200 to 250 BC. In other words, are uh, before the common era, as they would say today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and they considered it to be a book of that had real history and told uh, the real story of what was going on in Genesis six one through four. Uh, Peter quotes from the book of Jude, Jude uh, from from uh, Enoch. Jude quotes from the book of Enoch. Uh, so you, that's kind of an endorsement from a canonical book and and an apost- two apostles that are saying we consider this to be a reliable source. Now it's not considered a canonical book. But it is considered to be a valid book. And they also quote from a couple of others like the book of Jubilees and so on, which they consider to be reliable historical. And sometimes they unpack some of the same things as Enoch did. But Noah was righteous before God because he was endeavoring to serve him. Mm -hmm. And secondly, he was pure in his genealogy. And that's uh, if you read it from the Hebrew. So that means his family line had not been polluted By Nephilim half breeding. In other words, what they were trying to do was create a hybrid human that would pollute the human race so the seed that had been promised that would crush Satan's power and their power could not come into the world. God takes Noah and preserves his family, which is they're a pure human seed. And he destroys the rest and starts over, and so that the seed can come who ultimately will redeem all of mankind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So there's several things going on there. Now, in our day, the question are we knows. uh, We should be, and we should be people who are willing to stand out against the culture and to warn the culture and to literally— declare the gospel, because we have the
0: full gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's something that's not popular with the with the world around us, is preaching the gospel anymore. We have a lot of people in our society, even in the Western culture of America, a nation that used to be mostly a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of ridicule and hatred towards people who do proselytize Christ and, and preach the word of God. No, Did Noah face that in his day?
1: I'm sure he did because of the rejection of God's authority and the fact that these people, if if you take seriously some of the passages out of First Enoch, which some of the early Christians did, we know from the writings of the early church fathers they did, that these uh, evil, fallen spiritual beings taught mankind all kinds of witchcraft, and sorcery, and also how to do metal urgy, to build weaponry, to murder and slaughter each other with, in warfare, and so on. And so there was a lot of rejection of God. And so, yes, when Noah is preaching repent and come back, mm-hmm. you know, into, yes, there's a lot of resistance. No one listened. It says they mocked him, you know. And, uh, of course, they probably thought he was ridiculously out of his mind building a boat in the middle of... Where there was no water, (laughs) that was was the the size of the Queen Mary and larger, you know. So it's a.
0: So a lot of times Christians seem at odds with the world. Some of the things that they say or do or believe can seem crazy to non believers. So there's some parallels there for sure. So one of the things that, that keeps striking me is Noah went up against probably a great deal of opposition. And all the things that he was trying to do, both in his preaching and his beliefs and with building the boat. I'm sure he was tempted all the time. There's wild parties going on from what I understand. I read a lot outside of the Bible as well, commentaries and stuff. And they talk about, you know, orgies and just craziness going on all the time in the street, everywhere, all the time. And I'm sure there was a ton of temptation.
1: Well, in fact, the, the one great sin, not only was b- a bloodshed and murder yeah, and warfare, right. uh, before the flood was the sin of sexual sin. And this began, of course, with uh, what is recorded in Genesis 6, 1-4, and then it spread through mankind, and we are told the Nephilim were particularly grotesque in their sexual conduct, uh, and how they would uh, rape women and, uh, and subdue uh, different women. In fact, it even goes in descriptions uh, in some of the sources of bestiality and all kinds of things that were going on. Uh, it was a very, very wicked time. And so Noah, yes, he, he had to swim against the current. I my old grandfather used to say, "Any old dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to go against the current." And so Noah was a live one; he was going against the current.
0: Yeah, and in in the world that we live in today, which is becoming increasingly wicked, mm-hmm. I don't believe that we're anywhere near the level that I read about in Genesis yet, but we are increasing in wickedness, and and it is a pretty wicked world. There's death and murder and. I mean, if you lived in Chicago right now, you'd probably think it was pretty bad because as many people get shot every weekend. Right. I mean, it's an insanity, but... Our world is increasing in wickedness, mm-hmm. so we need to focus more on increasing our ability to be like Noah where we can stand apart from the world.
1: And to do that, J.D., we're going to have to become a people with the gospel in our mouth once again. Mm-hmm. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel, as John said, and as Paul said in Romans 1, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes it, and and. And the gospel is our greatest form of spiritual warfare, and I know there are people all the time who are into spiritual warfare, and they it's often uh, defined that in kind of uh, mystical, you know, mm-hmm. hocus pocus kind of ways. And I'm not saying that there isn't some mystery involved, but what I and I've been very much involved in spiritual warfare in all of my ministry. But the point is. Our greatest spiritual warfare is sharing the gospel, and there will always be resistance. There will always be persecution, and and I find it. For example, I was sharing with the staff the other day, and Grant will recall this. I was sharing with the staff the other day that I find it interesting that when Paul goes to Philippi, which is he's now moved into really, you know, true Roman Gentile territory. Philippi is a Roman colony for retired soldiers of mm-hmm, Caesar, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he is sharing the gospel. There is this uh, little fortune-telling girl who's going around. She's making a good living for those who own her. She's a slave, and she has the spirit of Python, the Greek says, in which it was related with the Delphi uh, oracle, and so she's a fortune-teller. So people come to her to get their fortune told, and she obviously has a demonic spirit. And it says that she follows Paul around, and she keeps uh, saying, in, obviously in a mocking voice, these men here are to tell you how to find salvation and the way to life, you know, and so on. And she just keeps this up and doing it in such a way that Paul can't preach the gospel. And finally, it says, Paul becomes so annoyed. It's interesting, it used the word annoyed. Paul becomes so annoyed, he turns on her and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the spirit comes out of her. She loses her ability to fortune tell. And then, of course, all that leads to the arrest, the beating, and Mm -hmm. the Philippi jail, and earthquake, and the salvation of the jailer's family, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's an interesting story. But here's what was so important to this. It says that this went on for several days before Paul confronted the spirit in her. Paul's mission was not to go out and to cast spirits out. To cast out evil spirits. His mission was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's doing that. He's basically trying to ignore her. He's basically trying to continue his work. When she gets to the place she's becoming so annoying he can't share the gospel, then he deals with her and then tries to go right back to what he's doing because his primary objective is share the gospel. And we need to be sure our church is about sharing the gospel, for it is the power the power of God for the salvation and the deliverance and the freedom and the restoration of everyone who believes it.
2: Well, I would say it's interesting that, you know, Christ didn't give us a whole list of this is how you do spiritual warfare. You got to do this and you got to—when this happens, you got to do this. He just said, go out and preach the gospel to the entire world. Exactly. And the only real— um, further indication in in the New Testament from the apostles about spiritual warfare is putting on the full armor of God and 95 percent of that is defense that's right and the one weapon is the gospel the you word know, of God. the word of God <laughs> that's so, right <laughs> I mean it's point, it's interesting Grant. that Christ didn't didn't need to equip us because that's all we need that's all we need you know
0: right and if in there's a good parallel with what we see in in hebrews 11 7. Where it says, by faith Noah, when warmed about these things yet not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Right. If we are to do the same, then we have to do as Jesus commanded and preach the gospel. Exactly. Not go out and argue with our neighbors about if Saturday or Sunday is the Sabbath or, (laughs) or all the things I see people argue about all the time. No, we are to preach the word of God. Right. We're to share the good news that Christ came to save us and show us how to – show people how to live the right life, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, and just to hark back to one of our previous podcasts uh, from Romans 14, we need to obey uh, Romans fourteen twenty two, which says, so whatever you believe about these disputable issues, keep between yourself and God. Right. And too many people are going around arguing about all this stuff yes. and wasting their time when we have the gospel to share, which can literally change somebody's forever Right. And why are we arguing about all of this nonsense? Which Paul said is a disputable issue. Don't make any rules about it. And whatever you believe about it, keep between yourself and God.
0: Oh my goodness! And there's just so <laughs> many people wrapped around the axle of these things. Oh you yeah. Know, Should we eat pork or not? Should we do this? Should we do that? And I'm like,
2: well, the devil will do whatever he can to <laughs> prevent us yes. from doing what we're supposed to be doing. Right. That's true,
0: but and again, that is spiritual warfare. Again, yeah. we have to gird ourselves against that. Yes. And so we have to be one uh, one of the the greatest things that any of us can do is just spend more time in the word the more time you spend in the word the more you will guard yourself from these these things and the more
1: the word becomes uh, an offensive part of your spirit your mind and your speech because mm-hmm. it's on your tongue it's ready as the as the uh, proverbs would say you know have
0: continuously quick, meditating on it
1: yes meditating on it have it have it quick to the tongue, you know, they're ready to go. And as Peter would say, you know, be ready to give an apologia, be ready to give a defense, be ready to give a, uh, you know, a good argument for the hope that you have, but do it gently, do it with kindness, Mm -hmm. do it with courtesy, but always be ready to do
0: it. I see so many Christians, you think they'd want to wrestle people to the ground and just shove the Bible (laughs) down their throat. It's like you're never going to win anybody over doing that.
1: Well, 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 I got a funny story for you, JD. I don't know if you'll like it or not, but when I was about seven or eight years old, my father was a, a theologian. So uh, I was about seven or eight years old. There was a little boy in my school who uh, attended church as well, but he was from a different theological camp. And so back in those days, I'm very, very uh, I had great allegiance to my father's form of theology. I was interested in theology even at seven and eight years of age. And it was interesting. And this little boy was talking about things that I, I didn't think were scriptural. Uh, at least it, you know, it's, and I won't identify what it was. But the point is, I thought that that's wrong theology. So I'm arguing with him out on the playground, and uh, and the teacher told my mother later that she <laughs> that he wouldn't listen. So. I put him on the ground, got on top of him, and was preaching to him. <laughs> and the teacher came up and saw what I was doing and pulled me off of him. And, and, and my dad said, son, that's not how you make
0: converts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just so everybody knows that we are not promoting that. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> we, t- we, we talk to people in love always.
1: Yeah, you know, that's seven-year-old tactics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I sure see that in a lot of people uh, wearing adult pants. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's and that's and that is fun to talk about. And the truth is, is I think that we we often forget about what Christ came for and told us that the thing that God cares most about is your heart. Yes. So all these other little things, let them fall to the side and they'll sort themselves out. God will tell you what you need to do don't force your neighbor to be thinking and looking exactly the way you do if they got a tattoo don't worry about it it's not going right. to condemn them you do what you think god is directing you to do and let them do what god is directing them to do as long as you're both following the gospel we are all going to be fine where your heart is is where you are at yes
1: and 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 also jd if i if i can just elaborate on that because that's a that's a beautiful Uh, admonishment because that's exactly where Jesus said the the issue lies because it's out of the heart that either good comes or evil comes and we're either uh, validated by good fruit or we're invalidated by the bad fruit that comes out of the heart. But most Christians don't understand what their heart is. Now, heart is actually a Hebrew term. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Greeks used the term mind to refer to the same thing. Mm Uh, although in the New Testament, they use both terms, and they use them interchangeably at times, and they also use them together, like uh, James will use it in James 4.8 to say, uh, you know, purify your heart, you double-minded. And there he's using uh, both terms in a nuanced way, saying they're the same, but there's a, a subtle difference. And I, we don't have time to go into that. But the point is, it's that the heart for the Hebrew, contains your, your will, your intellect, your emotions, which then produce your desires, attitudes, motives, mm-hmm. and, and then also your imagination. All of that is in the heart. So when we, we have this uh, platonic dichotomy where we divide the head and the heart. Well, the head for the Hebrew is in the heart. So as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Uh, Paul talks about, I felt in my heart. So that's emotion in the heart, you know, the sentence of death. Mm -hmm. Uh, It talks about, I decided in my heart. That's will. Uh, The desires of the heart, the motives of the heart, the attitudes of the heart, uh, the imaginations of the heart and the mind. All of that is part of the heart. So if we're going to manage our hearts and take care of them, we need to make sure our will is devoted to Jesus our thinking is devoted to Jesus. That, and we can't, of course, always control our imagine. I mean, our emotions. But if our will and thinking are right, they will steer our emotions, mm-hmm. and then we can choose to direct our imagination to the things of God. And then that will indeed make a change in our desires, attitudes, and motives. Because they are a product when we get the will right, the thinking right, and the emotions finally following them correctly, the desires, attitudes, motives change. That's how God gives us the desires of our heart.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and and I think it's important to note too that the the thoughts sometimes are some of the easiest things to not have complete control over. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that you are perfect in thought all the time.
1: No one can it, be. It,
0: what it is is when you recognize, hey, I shouldn't have thought that, mm-hmm. then you go back and readjust your game, right? Yep. You ask for you know, forgiveness for that moment of weakness and you move to the next level to try to steer that thought next time a little better. This whole This whole part of being a Christ follower is one of development and continuous growth. You don't yes. suddenly become the perfect Christ follower when you follow God. No. When you follow, accept Jesus Christ, you are on a journey and you are on a path to grow. It's always about the growth. But if your desire, if your deepest desire is to continue to grow and do better every time, that's where your heart is at. Yes. And that's what, that's what Jesus has asked for.
1: Well, and that's why we must be converted at the level of our will. Because when we truly elect Christ, Christ as the lover of our soul, Mm -hmm. he is going to be the Lord of our life. He's going to be the king of our world. And uh, and I mean, I'm talking about our personal world as well as our collective world. Then our desires and attitudes and motives will begin to focus on him, and we will desire the things he desires. We will want to do the things that please him. So, for example, uh, sometimes we have thoughts come up that we know immediately the Holy Spirit will check and say, I don't want you thinking like that. Mm-hmm. And we need to immediately repent of it and say, Lord... I don't want any, my mind, any, my thought life, to be a place you're not comfortable with. Right. So out of there that goes. And I reject that in the name of Jesus. On the other hand, I need to recognize spiritual warfare. I can be tempted. Satan can, can't can read my mind, but he can interject thoughts. Yeah. And certainly certain stimulus can interject thoughts. And we're all human enough to be stimulated at times in ways that where that stimulus cannot be righteously fulfilled and 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 responded to so we have to reject that and also recognize it as a form of spiritual warfare so if you're going to keep your mind where it belongs that's the only way you're going to be able to keep everything else where it belongs yeah because absolutely because as you think in your heart so you become and also James then goes on to talk about that's how our Jesus says that's what you speak you speak out of the heart right and then James says if you don't control the tongue uh, your religion is worthless. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything because obviously you're not controlling
0: the heart. Yeah, and, and back to what you said earlier about uh, the 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 heart and, and the mind controlling what you're doing. Jesus spoke to that mind and heart being to one thing when he said, if you have thought about this thing, whether it be, uh-huh. you know, extramarital affair or whatever, then— you have, are guilty of doing it.
1: Well, well, literally the term there, and you're right. But the, the, literally the term is, is that if you have, if a person, uh, he says, if a man lusts, let's say, taking mm-hmm. the the wand of of lust, if a man lusts after a woman. Now the word woman there literally means uh, a wife is the real meaning there, uh, but the word lust means consented to evil desire. Right. So in other words, she's off limits, she's sanctified to another man, you have no business uh, lusting after her, but if you consented to evil desire means not that you had a temptation— she may be incredibly beautiful, and you may have uh, had a moment of like, wow. Right. But then the question is, have you consented to lust Did after her? Did you
0: go down to the road of imagination to go beyond that moment yeah. of wow?
1: and th- in other words, you consent to it. And once you consent to it, Jesus says, whether you ever get the opportunity to fulfill the act or not, you're guilty. That goes back to the Apple story. Now, just, Several... you, you're
0: cheating. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say that. I am waiting for you to pause because that goes back to your Apple story. Yeah, that's
1: exactly right. So it's, uh, it, sin is at the point of the will. And so that's why we have to control, the, you know, we have to give the, our will to Jesus and say, you direct my will. My will's number one choice is to do your will.
0: So we've armed people now by saying this is the thing that we need to focus on doing.
1: If we're going to be a Noah.
0: Yes. And so it is difficult to do that in our day mm-hmm. because we're bombarded with just an incredible amount of influence from media and – I just uh, the the influences are mind boggling. I never realized how many things we're bombarded with. You know, mm-hmm. through television and commercials and movies and video games and music and um, sports and politics and news and the neighbors and. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and oh my goodness the list goes on and on and on yeah, and we don't on have and enough on. we
1: don't have enough Dave to get through so them all.
0: <laughs> there's this we're being bombarded with influences and matter of fact I never in my wildest dreams twenty years ago probably would have thought that there would have been a job title of influencer
1: yeah. We actually
0: have people that's
2: their whole career as being an influencer. And they're making way more money than I am.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're not asking for a raise, are you, Grant?
0: <laughs> but it does go to show you that this world understands how important influence is. Yes. And and so we have to understand why that importance is so high and what we need to, to guard ourselves against the wrong influences. Right. There's nothing wrong with good influences. Of course, we, we seek those out and we want those. Well, the Bible re- talks about it. You know, Paul to the Corinthians said, bad
1: company corrupts good character. Right. And he was quoting a proverb of the time. But the point is, is he was endorsing it and saying, be careful about the influences. You, you keep in bad company, you're going to have bad character. It's, it's going to lead you in the wrong direction.
0: So the influences, let's go back to Noah's day then, because this is, all, you know, we're talking about a circle of time, right? We're going to go uh-huh. back to the days of Noah. What kind of influences were they having? Because these are people that, honestly, I believe knew who God was. Yes. As Adam was there alive telling them, look, I messed up. God was the God that created us, uh-huh. and it was so beautiful in the garden, we got to walk with our creator, and he loved us so deeply. Mm-hmm. And I violated that. Right. I mean, I, I'm, I personally imagine Adam lived with a lot of shame Yeah. because he lost something so wonderful and great, and he knew he lost it.
1: Well, it's interesting that you would point to this. Adam's lifetime, uh, he lived 930 years. And if you put it together with his uh, the genealogy mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. his children and grandchildren— you discovered that he and Noah overlapped several hundred years. Mm-hmm. So and Noah was 500 years old when the flood came. So, uh, I mean, uh, 600 years old when the flood came. He was 500 when he had his first children. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that, he was pretty much, as I said, uh, we were talking earlier, I said a confirmed bachelor for quite a few years, yeah. evidently. But uh, he had his three sons and, at, at, and he began having them at 500 years of age. The flood came when he was 600. But he and so he knew Adam, his great, 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 great grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd heard him speak, of course, probably of the garden many times. Mm-hmm. And he certainly had been passed down through the genealogy, and all of them knew the story. So it's not like most people imagine that this is some kind of uh, faint uh, oral tradition that kind of got all messed up as it got passed down through the g- genealogies right. and through the generations. No, these people knew each other. Uh, they lived. Uh, you know, Adam lived to see uh, many generations of his uh, of his children, and he must have been brokenhearted to see how so many of them were corrupted, because the earth became very corrupt. Even probably it had begun before Adam dies.
0: Yeah, and God says that the the word says that the man was so corrupt he corrupted the very earth.
1: Yes. That the earth was crying out, yeah.
0: That, that's an amazing thing to ponder. So we we talked just a little bit about the Nephilim. So what kind of influence did these people have? And, and why were they so good at, at changing man into basically turning their back to God?
1: Well, well the Nephilim uh, are the, you know, if you, many people have tried to take a what we would call a naturalist view of Genesis 6, 1 through 4. It simply will not work. It's a supernatural passage. It's about supernatural beings coming and procreating with humans and creating a hybrid human race, which turns out to be the Nephilim. Now, the the ones who did this are called in the Hebrew Scriptures the sons of Elohim. These are uh, fallen divine beings. They're not necessarily angels, though they could serve as an angel. An angel is just a messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, they're fallen divine beings that once were part of God's divine counsel from what we can gather from uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures and also from extra uh, biblical material that uh, has been written, in, especially in the Second Temple Jewish period. And so they come to the earth. They descend to Mount Hermon, according to Enoch 1. Uh, they take an oath together to literally to do this deed to defile mankind and to have to produce these Nephilim giants. And uh, their influence on the earth because it says they to the women they took, they taught them witchcraft and sorcery and various potions and herbs and they taught them metallurgy, their their son's metallurgy how to make, weapons, you know, you're talking about swords and spears mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and shields and all these kinds of things. So they they made it possible for man to, to move very quickly technologically towards slaughtering one another. And then they also taught them immorality. They taught them sexual deviation on a very corrupt scale. So much so that in that and, and, and I hesitate to go here, but the point is, is that it was not just between humans and humans. It was between humans and everything else. Mm-hmm. And we see this even later in the Old Testament, even at Jericho and the land of Canaan. There was a lot of bestiality and those kinds of things going on, and the people were so corrupt, and there was so much disease as a result of it. Uh, some archaeological work that's been done there says that if the Jews hadn't—not the, the Jews, the Israelites— had not destroyed many of those nations, they would. They already had diseases that looked similar to AIDS mm-hmm. uh, because of the kind of just blatant immoral lifestyles they were living with, bestiality and every other kind of sexuality you can imagine, and uh, promiscuity on a massive scale. And there's actually some who have calculated with computer programs that it would only have taken about another 15 to 20 years for them to infect the whole earth. And as a result... The result would have been that you would almost have wiped mankind off the earth. So Satan's always been trying to wipe mankind off the earth, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, so God sends Israel in, but He waited four hundred years till the sin of the Canaanites and the, Am- the Amorites and everything had reached its zenith, because He tells Abraham, "I'm going to. Your children are going to go to e- Egypt." But I'm going to send them back here when the sin of the Amorites has reached its full, fullness. And so they waited 430-some years before God actually punishes them. That's patience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so God is. But the point is, is that when he wipes them out, it's time to wipe them out because probably there was great danger to the rest of civilization. And so they go in as God's police force, so to speak, because God had passed judgment on them and said, get rid of these because they're so corrupt that they're endangering everyone else. And so that's another issue. But that's what was going on before the flood. Now, as it was in the days of Noah, how is that going to translate to our day? Well, the same kinds of sins are reappearing.
0: Yeah, and I was going to ask you, so we we have the flood, we kill the Nephilim off. Right. (laughs) They, they, They didn't leave, right?
1: No, here's the point. They left us in their physical form. According to Second Temple Judaism, and this is endorsed by the New Testament, it's clearly in the mind of Paul and much of his writings about demon spirits, and Jesus treated them this way as well. But uh, the point is is that the Second Temple Judaism, during the time of Christ, uh, taught that demons were the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. And of course, they got this from First Enoch, which uh, there's a whole chapter which talks about these Nephilim and they're corrupt and how they're corrupting the earth, and how these giants are are so vile and so pathetic that God just is not going to allow them to live any longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He literally turns them against each other and they start slaughtering each other. But the point is that he ultimately wipes them out with the flood, but he makes a judgment that because they were. Uh, procreated on the earth, their spirit is doomed to roam the earth because they are not allowed in the heavens. They're too vile. Right. And so they roam the earth as disembodied spirits. And one of the reasons the demons like to possess people is they love to re-embody. They they want to feel in the physical sensation. So it's a it's a kind of It's not full embodiment, of course, but it's a kind of way to re-embody themselves, and then they can control another being, and they're very evil. And uh, so what is happening in our culture is demonic influence is behind so much that's going on in our world today, and people don't see it because the the devils love not being believed in.
0: Right, right. Because no, they, it
1: gives them free reign. You know, us Lewis. I can do whatever I want if yeah, you don't C- think I exist. Now, yeah, C.S. Lewis talked about, they said they either love you, you know, in his screw tape letters, they, they love not being believed in at all because that gives us totally free hand, mm-hmm. or they lo- love a morbid obsession with them so that you see demons under every rock, right. so to speak. And, uh, and we've got Christians that have that morbid obsession, you know. But the point is, is that there is spiritual, a lot of things that we see in people. Uh, Sometimes you have nothing but mere human anger, but there are times when uh, someone's anger is literally demonically instigated, Mm -hmm. and uh, you have to be able to discern the difference. And having run a Christian uh, counseling training uh, ministry for many years and training many counselors and doing thousands of hours of counseling, I can tell you that I have seen demonic outbursts and seen demonic manifestations that are very, very real, and those demons— are very vile. Uh, I don't like to talk about the stories very much, but I can tell you nobody's ever going to tell me the spiritual world doesn't exist. I've seen it, <laughs> and I've uh, talked to it, and I've also seen the power of Jesus Christ to overcome it.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah so we talk about how they are disembodied spirits, right, in, mm-hmm. or demons in this, in this world that we live in. So are they going to gain influence over men again? They of course, have. we see that we just talked uh-huh. about that, right? We already have, so yeah. we're going to increase. So, one of the things that you talked a little bit about and and kind of walked around a little bit was bestiality in the days of Noah. Uh-huh. I, I saw, uh, I, I'm always looking at different um statistical uh-huh. analysis and, and things, and we have a giant problem with pornography in our world, right? Um, so much so that. of men in churches have admitted that they have viewed pornography in the last three months. And 40% of pastors have done so.
1: Because they're opening themselves to all kinds of demonic oppression when they do that.
0: The thing is that I saw a statistic that said 30% of the pornography in in the world is bestiality. Mm. That's terrifying. That's that's,
1: uh, revolting. (laughs) That's awful.
0: awful. So— my my question is is that or not or maybe a question maybe it's just an observation that they have increased it would seem because in their influence in our world in the last let's call it 20 30 40 years because pornography wasn't as prolific right especially i think when the internet age came around it became way more prolific than it was before
1: and so what we're seeing, as it was in the days of Noah, sexual sin was one of the prominent sins along with murder and, and slaughter. And we're seeing murder and slaughter increase all over the earth. Mm-hmm. We're seeing sexual sin become predominant. People are absolutely obsessed with uh, the sensual. And uh, mm. so we are already there. It's as it was in the days of Noah. And the same beings that were causing that, During the time of Noah, though they were enfleshed then and were leading, the, so to to speak, the parade, are still active on this earth. And they're working through human people. They're working through governments. They're working through all kinds of media. They're working through all kinds of platforms to basically corrupt people and to cause these same sins to uh, enslave mankind again.
0: Yeah, and we have— My generation, you know, I'm a little older at Generation X. So we have the influence of my early childhood and as I was growing up to to lean back on, to stick, stay away from many of the influences of this world and, and this sexual immorality, if you will, of all these things going on. But people – there are people that literally have been never, absorbed in this. for never know anything Because – We're teaching – now we're teaching – we're having LGBTQ drag queens come into kids' schools and teach kindergartners. We're we're teaching sexual education to kindergartners. I mean we're starting at five and six years old and inundating children with – Sexual images and sexual messages in the video games that they play. There's so many video games out there that are, just, there's video games where you just go and pick some woman up off the street and rape her. And I mean, there's just an unimaginable sexual influence on children. So when they get to be adults, they don't have hardly any chance to not be part of that mentality.
1: Well, actually, what you just described is, uh, child molestation at the highest level of spiritually, psychologically and in some cases it goes on to physically. but, but that is abuse uh, that, uh, that society should not tolerate. but the point is we are tolerating it because when the whole society becomes so guilty with this sin, it's hard to point the finger at anybody who's gone a little bit further because mm-hmm. you know and so we start to justify it.
2: What it does is it creates um, a jaded mindset. Yes. As someone who's grew up playing video games and stuff like that, um, played like some of the mm-hmm. not some of the stuff they've gotten now, which is even worse. But you know, I played some of those bad ones. You know, mm-hmm. it it creates a jaded mindset because you've seen so much. Right. Of what's awful. He that when you see show. something happen, you're just like, oh, you know, it's just another day. It's not a big deal. You know.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and this is one of the things that the New Testament talks about, that sin des- des- desensitizes people, and that when we become desensitized to evil, uh, that's a hardened heart, that's a seared conscience. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening to the culture. We're getting to the place that wickedness is normal. Which is
0: where Noah was at.
1: Yeah, and that's what Jesus said because of the increase of wickedness Mm. in this same discourse where he talked about Noah. He says the love of most will grow cold. He's not just talking about believers. He's talking about people. Right. The power to actually have normal love, right? normal affection
0: Mm -hmm. is going to die, and it is dying. We have parents that are standing up at school board meetings reading from the books that their children are being forced to read in school and it's pornography. Yes. I mean, I, I've seen four, at least in the last week, moms that were just in tears and angry beyond belief because they their yeah. kids... Pedophilia
1: being described in a book to a, an elementary child.
0: And within days, we have an elected official talking about how parents should not have influences over the school boards, over the books that are being taught in schools. Yeah. So that means that this government, whoever these people were, right, they're already being influenced by these outside wicked pe- w- wicked influences already to the point well, where they Well, think gonna...
1: about the worldview, though, that has just been assumed there, that the children belong to the state. Mm-hmm. The state has the right to teach them whatever they darn want to, and that the ch- parent has no right over their children to protect them or to educate them the way they see fit. So this is a total... Uh, a total rejection of what the Judeo-Christian worldview is, is that the child belongs to the parent, and the parent is responsible for their protection and their education and their upbringing.
2: And what we don't really realize, perhaps, is that it's farther down the road than I think most of us are aware. You know, we -hmm. would would say, hey, you know, we're just becoming aware of this, you know, this has got to be an outrage, it's got to be changed. Well, I overheard my uncle talking to his daughter the other day. She just put her kids in a new school because they moved, and she had called her teacher about something because there was some some problem with um, her son's behavior, um, and the teacher told her that she's the only parent that's called her this concerned about her, her child in, like, a very long time, and mm. that teacher probably has 15, 20 kids. Yeah, disconnect. You know? and that, so that's disconnect. such a small percentage um, of a caring parent versus mm-hmm. the ones who have already forfeited and given up, you know, yeah. raising their children to the state. That's yeah, terrifying. the
1: school is just a babysitting service so that the parent can right. go to work or do whatever.
0: But I think the first step for all of us is to recognize where we're at, in, in, especially when, when we're given a direct correlation between what it was like when God wiped most of humanity off the planet. And when Christ is going to come back, we have to see. Okay, we see that there are all these evil things happening, and they're very similar and come in parallel. And what does the man's heart look like, right? So we're talking about it. People, their parents' hearts are already going cold to their own children, right? Grant. If you don't care about what's going on in your kid's life, then your heart's cold to your That's kid. That's what it sounds uh, your,
1: like. lo- your love has grown cold, yeah. And you've lost natural affection, which is also prediction. So of we have
0: to be aware of these things. Because one, if we can start to see things the way they are, then we can start to say, well, I need to buckle down maybe. And I need to really start harder on mm-hmm. the course that I want to be on, lest I get swallowed by the world.
1: Well, let, let me uh... – Interject something here, uh, J.D. and Grant, that may not be very popular, but it's it's so very necessary because we talked about. Those
0: are the things we like best on here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm not on here all the time, so I don't. Yeah, but but uh, the point is, is that we talked about how important it is to have the gospel in in our mouth and, mm-hmm. and on our lips, and we forget that the good news of the gospel also includes the fact that Jesus is coming back to earth. Now, Christians have been so misled with these false eschatologies that we're all you know, leaving the earth, so let it, let it go to hell in a handbasket, because mm. we don't care, because mm-hmm, we're all mm-hmm. going away to be with Jesus somewhere in the in the clouds in the netherworld. And I got news for you. The rapture, when it takes place, is going to be a great big U-turn, because the word parousia literally means to go out to meet in order to accompany back. back to yes. where you came from. Jesus is bringing the kingdom here.
2: Yep. He's
1: coming to us. We're not going to him. And when we die now, before the second coming, yes, we go to be with Christ, to be absent from the body it's to be present with the Lord. But that is a temporary state, and, it, and that's why Paul says that he, Christ will bring with him those who have died mm-hmm. in the Lord so that they can be resurrected along with everyone else. So, But here's the point. Jesus is coming to earth to set things to rights. He's coming to earth to judge this time. Mm -hmm. He's not coming as a baby. He's not coming as the prince of peace initially. He's coming as the Lord and king and outraged judge of the earth, and he's going to destroy the wicked. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand that we have to find a loving but yet firm way to remind people Judgment is on the way, just as in the days of Noah. Noah was probably very unpopular when he told them, look, God is getting ready to wipe you off the face of the earth. And they're probably, ha, 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 ha. The sun came up yesterday. It'll come up again tomorrow. You're Mm -hmm. a lunatic. Right. But the truth is, it's going to... This is going to be a very supernatural event. When Jesus appears, which is also what parousia means, his Mm -hmm. appearance, his presence, when suddenly his presence is there, the whole world is going to be rocked onto its heels. And people, in fact, the Bible says that many will be calling for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of him from the lamb because Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to be able to stand his presence because they know it's judgment So judgment is coming, as it did in the days of Noah. Now, as you go to where Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, you need to follow through with what he goes ahead and says here. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne—oh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong passage. I went uh, (laughs) one chapter over. Uh, That, that of course, is the sheep and the goats passage— But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, for in the days before the flood, and he says, he now he describes normal life going on, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing. About what would happen until the flood came and took them all the way. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then he says this two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Now, those verses right there have been so misused. Yeah. So, for example, people say, oh, well, the one taken is raptured, right? No, this is not a rapture passage, okay? (laughs) This is a judgment passage. Yeah. Okay. In the day of Noah, where were the people who were taken away taken to? They were taken to destruction. The ones left was Noah and his family. Okay, so this is the correlation as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at my coming. Some are going to be taken away to destruction. Some are going to be left because of salvation. Mm -hmm. So when it talks about two people working in the field one is taken to judgment to destruction the other is going to be left to, along with Christ to inherit and to rule on the earth the same with the women the point here is that judgment's coming and Jesus is referring to judgment and we misuse that passage and try to insert rapture in here and he's not even talking it makes us about it he's
0: now. not talking yeah he's not talking you know, about you rapture know, there, there's a lot of feel good sermons out there yeah and and that's what people A lot of people want is to feel good that we're going to get taken away from all of this pain. You I can't even begin to describe to you the people that talk about the rapture of the church and how it's going to avoid all of the pain of the world and all of the tribulation. And it's just like, oh, you guys are so stuck on not suffering for God. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, the early Christians would have found that quite bizarre. Uh, especially the people who wrote our New Testament, most of them were jailbirds, and, and most <laughs> of them died
0: horrific deaths.
1: Yes, uh, they they wouldn't understand that at all. They would they would think we we were nuts.
0: We're just so comfort oriented in the West, especially. Yeah. Now I know I, we have listeners in multiple countries now. Um, and many of, of fact, them are suffering severely. In some of faith. those countries, there's, it's a great danger. Matter of fact, I wanted to actually do that this time is I wanted to recognize we have some listeners in India Yep. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I recognize you and I appreciate you listening to us because I bless you, you yes. definitely live in an environment different from ours Yes. and that it, it can be dangerous for you to be a believer in, and, and, right. We're so grateful for you, and we hope that you hear something here from us that helps you in your walk. And we also have some listeners in Australia. Australia is going through a very difficult time right now, and we appreciate you well as well. Yeah. And uh, just uh, all I would say is uh, stay strong in the Lord and keep keep your faith in all that you're going through.
1: Well, Aussies are good people. i got one on my staff. And, yeah, we, 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 do. and we kid him, on, you know, mercilessly, but <laughs> but he's a great man.
0: But we have this warning from Jesus, yes. right? And so we should be intelligent enough to recognize the signs of things to come and things that are happening and to start preparing ourselves, both in our hearts and our minds and our bodies, for what we're about to receive. We don't always just receive good things. We also receive troubling times.
1: Well, we're told in Revelations 13 and 14 where the vision that started in 12 of the woman Israel who gives birth to the Messiah Mm -hmm. whom the dragon tries to kill, but the Messiah triumphs and is taken to God's right hand in heaven. He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Then it says the dragon goes off to make war against the rest of her seed. Those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Yes. Oh, most people don't read that verse. <gasps> and then, and then the dragon stood on the seashore, and then you have the first beast coming out, mm-hmm. which is the antichrist system with the antichrist, and then you have the second beast coming from the earth, which is the false religious system, which, by the way, is already underway on this planet right now, <sighs> and the Pope and the and the, oh, and the Imam are leading that charge, and uh, and the the point is is that we have uh then it says that you know this re- false religious system will make everybody worship the Antichrist and mm-hmm. worship the image of the Antichrist and that the image will be given a form of artificial intelligent life evidently or something and that the in- image commands that anyone who will not worship the the beast and his image shall be put to death. And then we get these interesting statements twice in 13 and 14. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints, the people mm-hmm. of God. Saints are only the holy ones, okay? Mm-hmm. And by the way, this isn't referring to Israel. Only The only ones who are holy are saved by the blood of Jesus. Right. And it says it calls for patient endurance because, and then it, it warns you, though if anyone's wants to go into prison, to prison they will go. If he wants to go into, if he wanted to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. Yep. This calls for patient endurance the part of the saints who hold to the testimony of Jesus.
2: Yes.
1: So this is said twice in both 13 and 14, and people skip over that, but this is why Jesus says, therefore, right after this whole deal about one should be taken the other left, mm-hmm. he says, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. In other words, you better be ready so that you can be in the salvation column because right. he's and, coming to judge.
0: And keeping watch means you have to be aware of what's going on around you. Yes. And if if you don't believe that the book of Revelation is coming to life all around you right now, you are asleep. <laughs> I mean, there, there's yeah, no you, nice way to put that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we now have moved into the point where, just as you you talked about just a little bit, the Pope and and they're yeah. getting ready to build a one world religion facility. Yeah, with, that is with, going to with have, three
1: temples in it. Yes. Yes. A, sen- a synagogue and, and a Jewish in temple and a Christian yeah. cathedral. Yeah.
0: It opens next year. Yes.
1: Yes. And and the architect uh, the architectural uh, design on that is just breathtaking. I mean, they're putting billions millions and millions of dollars into this. And this will be the birthing of a, you know, they're calling it, what, the the, the family of Abraham mm-hmm. house or something like that? Yeah, the, yes. Yeah, because that's what all three religions or monolithic religions can, you know, be a part of. But the point of this is they're trying to bring a synergism. But the p- truth is, for example, as a Christian, can I be a part of that? No, because my faith, true Christianity says as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I cannot say to a Muslim, oh, you can get there uh, to, to heaven by doing this or even by blowing people up or whatever you do or by good works. And I cannot say to a Jew who rejects his Messiah that you can find another way to get to heaven. If you're going to get to heaven, you've got to come through Jesus. So any form of Christianity that is willing to compromise that mm-hmm. is not true Christianity. That is pseudo-Christianity. And this
0: is something that Christians need to get in their head right now. When this facility opens and they begin to recognize this as the way forward from a worldview standpoint, true Christianity is going to be hated. Oh, yeah. You will be an outcast. You will be considered a hate monger. Because we'll be
1: considered to be the haters, yeah. Right. Because, and it's being built in Dubai right now.
2: And people need to um, pay attention and be aware of what their church is endorsing when this happens, because there are so many um, of these big churches that have already embraced the Pope, um, you know, in the last five to ten years and have already, like, kind of pseudo-aligned themselves with what's been prepared, and if these churches that have such big influence on us through the worship songs that we sing and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. you know, are, are pushing people or pulling people that direction. And, you know, are the people in those churches are not paying attention and not, not saying, Hey, wait, wait, okay. I have to separate myself from this. You're going to get pulled in along with it.
0: So again, this goes back to the question of today is, are you a Noah? And that means are you separating yourself from these things in the world that are coming at us like we've talked about with the sexual immorality, the violence, the hatred, the anger, the the murder, the one world religion coming up? They're trying to do a monetary system now that is going to be completely digital to get rid of the dollar. All of these things are influenced through evil to corrupt man, to to enslave man further than we— our society tries to enslave us today. So we have to be like Noah's. We have to separate ourselves from that. We have to stand on the word of God. Mm-hmm. We have to stand on the gospel, and we have to take that into heart and live it. Even though all this stuff is happening around us, we cannot waver.
1: And J.D., here's, here's a key point uh, to contextualize everything you just said. What people need to realize is that from a worldly point of view, uh, the digital system of currency is going to look like the greatest thing Mm. since sliced bread. And technologically, you know, it's going to say, hey, you know, you're going to have more security over your finances and people won't be able to buy or sell on your uh, resources, because, you know, and eventually we know there's going to be a mark, something on the right hand of the forehead, and, you know, so you're not going to cut off somebody's hand and go and try to buy something with that, see? So, you know, and so there's going to be some kind of biomarkers or whatever, but the point is, is, is that this is going to look good. So the question is, what worldview are you contextualizing these things in? If you're doing it from a merely secular worldview, this stuff looks great. This is fabulous. We're going to have more security. Everything's going to run smoother. Man, I can walk in. I don't have to have a wallet on me. I've got all my identification on me. This looks fantastic. But if I have a Christian worldview, I look at it, and I go, oh, but God told me this will be used to control the world. Right. This will be used to enslave the world. This will be used to create global totalitarianism. Well, do I believe the Bible or not? Do I believe the Christian worldview? So too many Christians are trying to cope with the world, and they don't have a Christian worldview to contextualize all these right. things. So, for example, I, I look here at this Abrahamic family house in Dubai, that, that and, and this thing looks gorgeous. It's going to be an architectural masterpiece this whole, uh, you know, facility on these grounds with these three beautiful edifices. You know, if you just look at that, people, believe you want going... Wow, isn't this wonderful? The world is coming together, and and we're talking about human fraternity, and yes. everybody's going to be at peace, and it's going to
0: it's okay. It'll be okay to love everybody, no matter what state you're in, yeah. what, what sin you have done, if you have, if you're homosexual, you can be invited in, and you don't have to repent of your sin, and and. Quit doing what you're doing. We still accept you and love you. All of that is what the the majority of secular world is preaching today.
1: Yes, and the truth is we do love them, but we love them enough to tell them the truth that judgment's on the way and the King is on the way, and that you cannot defy the King and because your life is not your own, you were bought at a price. Right, and if you reject that, uh, the greatest snub to God is that he's his son laid down his life for you mm-hmm. and you thumb your nose in him and walk off and say, I'll do as I bully well, please. That you just cannot do that.
0: Yeah, that and that's and it's sad. I mean we do we do. I it hurts to think that people would not accept the gift of Christ and his sacrifice. Yeah. It hurts me to see that. Yeah. I don't I don't hate anybody. I don't get angry at them for what they're doing. I literally i'm weeping for what they're not doing accepting
1: yeah, right well and and so what i'm saying is is that if as you look at this uh you know this uh agreement that was signed by the pope and the imam mm-hmm. uh it's kind of interesting the jews haven't been very active in this they had to go back to a historical figure to get the jewish ones in here and they named the the Jewish uh, edifice after the one of the uh, ancient uh, rabbis a couple hundred years back, and, but eventually they'll get involved, I'm sure. But the point is, is that you need a you need our biblical worldview to look at this and go, "Whoa, wait a minute! This is evil with a beautiful face on it. Right? This is our the world's demise coming." Looking you know this is the bouquet that when you re- you know, you know you lean over to take a beautiful sniff of the flowers, the serpent bites you in the face right. this is exactly what this so is so
0: as many Christians have wondered you know, what did Jesus mean when he said soon Yes, I think we're about to find out. I think soon is coming soon yes, and we you either want to honestly and and sincerely follow Jesus Christ and be a Christian. And, and and I I almost don't use that term anymore. I mean, you either want to follow the way, yeah, or you don't. Yeah. And the world's about to get you to make that decision in the next few years, I believe. And so people we need to be examining ourselves. We see what it took for Noah to live the life that he lived in the time that he lived. We're about to experience almost an identical set of circumstances. Uh-huh. Do you have it in you? Are you, is it part of your being to be like Noah, to stand on your faith, to have a relationship with God? Noah had a great relationship with God. When God spoke, he listened.
1: Yes, and, he obeyed. <laughs> and he did it. And he obeyed, yeah. Right. And now, uh, J.D., if I can just add before, I know we're coming to the close mm-hmm. of the broadcast here, but if I can just add a small caveat here. Sure, sure. Let me say this. There are many people in Roman Catholicism who truly have come to love and to know Jesus Christ and who are saved individuals Mm -hmm. on their way to heaven. And, And many of us would say that sometimes that's been not because of, but almost in spite of some of the things they've been taught. It's the same as in many churches. Uh, absolutely th- they're not the only protestants
0: one. are at least yeah we, we're, not, we're not free of that
1: yeah we got some we got many protestant and evangelical churches that people if they get to heaven they're going to get there in spite of what they've been taught. Right. but the point is is that i would just say to anyone out there who has roman catholicism background or you're presently in the roman catholic church if you have truly become a follower a christ follower and you are in love with jesus christ and you and that can certainly happen being a roman catholic I would say that when we talk about the fact that the pope now has done something uh, where he is actually leading to the birthing of something that is not Christian, it's actually antichrist. If you read the uh, document of human fraternity that he and the imam wrote and published, there is not one mention of Christ, period, Mm -hmm. nothing whatsoever about Jesus. It is totally about humanity and humanity's potential and how we can come together. This is transhumanism in in religious form. And I would just simply say to those in uh, Roman Catholicism, if you are a true Christ follower, the Bible does say there will be a time when the scriptures say, come out of her, my people, talking about Babylon, that apostate religion, Mm -hmm. come out of her, my people, so you do not share in her sins. And what... Pope Francis has done, contrary to some previous popes that I actually admired their stand and, and, and on many issues for orthodoxy. But this pope in particular is literally leading the way to sell out the Christian faith for a world religion. And when you do something and make an agreement with a antichrist religion, which says Jesus never died on the cross, that he never rose again, that he was not the Son of God. This is antichrist religion. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that is antichrist. And so the pope has positioned himself, unfortunately, as a kind of antichrist. Now, he's not the antichrist, not in any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but he is of the Antichrist spirit. And so I would say you need to consider finding a church that's really preaching the gospel. Whatever the title is over the door, if they're preaching the gospel, you'll be better off there.
0: That's right. That's right. And I have some very dear friends that are are Catholics and I I talk to them, and and some of them are very unhappy with this book.
1: Yeah. Well, I tell everybody we're all Catholic if we're true believers, because that just simply means the universal church. But uh, Roman Catholic is one segment of that. And there are true believers in Roman Catholicism. Absolutely. I know some
0: some very good men and women in that faith. Well, Pastor Gary, I thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Uh Um, It's been a true joy, and what a great topic. and, And I hope that this helps a lot of people.
1: Well, I do too, and it's always a pleasure to be with you guys, and uh, I hope that this broadcast and this podcast just keep
0: right on going. Well, I'm sure if we can keep up this good work, uh, God will bless us. All right. All right, well, God bless you. So this has been a Veritas Resurgence broadcast, and today on A Voice Calling in the Wilderness, we've been talking with Pastor Gary Durham, and we were asking a singular question. Are you a Noah? And I think that is a good question for us to ask in this day and age and the things that we're seeing going around us. And we need to examine where our hearts and our minds are at. So, if you would please take a moment and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to visit our website at vrbroadcast.org, where you can find more teaching and ask questions of the show and our guests. Also, find us on Facebook at A Voice Calling in the Wilderness. And do us a favor, recommend this podcast to your friends and family. Again,